from 1 Timothy chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord, warning against false teachers of the law. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. These promote controversies rather than God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have wandered away from these and turned to meaningless talk. They want to be the teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they do what they so confidently affirm. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly, the sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for adulterers and perverts, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which he entrusted to me. The Lord's grace to Paul. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Now, to the King Eternal, Immortal, Invisible, the only God, be honour and glory forever and ever. Amen. Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by following them you may fight the good fight holding on to faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected these and so have shipwrecked their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. May God add his blessing to this word. Thanks, Betty. Uh, we're about to head into a new series. We're just starting 1 Timothy, as you can see. We're right at the beginning of the chapter of the book or the letter. Uh, and over the next six weeks, we're going to be looking at 1 Timothy together. Uh, so here on Sunday, we're going to look at one chapter at a time, hopefully, if we can get through all of it. Uh, when we go into our growth groups throughout the week, then we're going to spend a little bit more time digging into it and finding out more about it. So uh, if you aren't in a growth group yet, make sure you stick up your hand and we'll try and get you along to one because that'll be a chance for you to get in and really dig into what 1 Timothy has to say for us. 
Uh, you see, 1 Timothy here is a great book because it's written to a guy called Timothy. That's why it's called Timothy, from a guy called Paul. And the great thing is about it is that Timothy, I mean, Paul's writing to Timothy and he's not just writing to him because he's an acquaintance or something, but he sees Timothy as a, as a, dear, as a dear son, like a son, like someone who's grown up with him and got to know him. In a sense, 1 Timothy is like a letter to Paul, Paul being, from a letter to Paul to Timothy, Paul being the trainer and Timothy being the trainee, like our metro program that we're about to start with Les. So it's almost like that. It's a sense of Paul writing to a guy who spent lots of time with him, wanting to really encourage Timothy to grow up and stand, stand firm for the faith. You see, if you have a look across in your Bibles, if you've got them open, have a look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. Because in that we see why Paul is writing to Timothy. He says this, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 and 15, Although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is his church. It's not a building, it's his people, notice, of the living God. So it is a great book for us, isn't it? It's a great book for us about how we, as a people, as God's people here in Evans Head, uh, if you come from abroad or somewhere else, as you go back to your place, as God's people, how you are to live and operate in the place that God has put you. How we here are to operate as the household of God in Evans Head. So as we come to look at that together, as we spend time at this morning, let's ask God to help us understand the passage that we've just read. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that in the Bible we have you speaking to us. We pray, Lord, that as we look at this letter together, as we look at this chapter, as we see what Paul is saying to Timothy, we pray, Lord, this morning that our hearts and our eyes will be open to you, that, Lord, we won't shut off, that we won't go into snooze mode, but, Lord, we'll be open and ready to hear what you have to say to us and be ready, Lord, for you to speak directly to us this morning through your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we talked about fads a little while while ago, but there's actually another fad that's sweeping through Australia at the moment. Uh, Have you got any idea what it might be? A fad that's just taking over everywhere just about. What? (laughs) Obesity. Oh, that may not be just a fad. I think that's an eternal thing that's been going on for a long time. But it probably is taking over the place, uh, obesity. We've got to be careful of that. No, that's not the one, Alex. That's a thing. It's uh, something that uh, people are wanting and having. Let me show you what it is. It's one of these little gadgets. Do you know what they are? They are a satellite navigation system or a navman or something like that. This one's a navman. This one's Dave Webster's. They are sweeping the country. Uh, a guy in our congregation by the name of Steve Finance runs Autobahn and he told me that there's something like expected to be 11 million sat navs in Australia in the very next couple of months and then they're expanding, expecting to, to expand further and further. Uh, does anyone know what a, a sat nav does? Takes you to the wrong place? Uh, sometimes, sometimes. Uh, yeah, it means you don't need your wife with you, says Dave. Where's Deb? She might be out the back there somewhere. <laughs> Can wipe the brow off his, uh, off his brow there. Uh, these little gadgets, you plug in an address. Uh, you set it up so it knows where you are. You plug into it an address, and what it does, it basically gives you a map all the way to the destination. 
and it actually follows you along the road. So you actually see your little car, in a sense, like this little dot moving along the highway with you. And not only does it have that, but it also has this little person that lives inside there somewhere. I don't know how they make them that small, and I don't know how they change their voices. But there's this little person inside who actually tells you how to get there as well. And so you not only have this here, but you also have a voice that tells you how to get places. They're amazing little machines, these sat-navs. The other week, when the blokes went up to listen to Mark Driscoll in Brisbane, Dave brought his sat-nav with him, and he put it in my car. So I thought I was flash after that. I'm right up there. And uh, we put it in the car, we plugged in the coordinates, uh, we set it in, and from Dave's place in Broadwater all the way to where we needed to go for the next two and a half hours, it showed us exactly where we were and took us where we wanted to go. Uh, even when we decided to take a slight deviation, it came on and said, you are going in the wrong direction. <laughs> and then if we ignored that, he says, it would go recalculate, recalibrate, and then it would tell you how to get back onto the right direction. So even if you'd gone off the wrong way, it would pull you back into the right direction. And if you got really sick of the voice, you could change it from male to female, and when you got sick of that, you go back to male. And when you got really sick of it, you just put it onto a completely different language and you had no idea <laughs> what it was saying to you. But they're great machines. They take us and they show us how to get there and they pull us back onto the right direction when we've gone off in the wrong direction. Well, 1 Timothy is a book a bit like that because Paul is saying to Timothy, to the little church in Ephesus, you need to stand up, mate. You need to be the God navigator for this little church. They need to find out how to come back on track. They've gone off in different directions and Paul is saying to Timothy, you need to draw them back to the right place. You need to be their God navigation machine. And in a sense, it's the same for us too, isn't it? Here, Paul is saying to us, as he speaks to Timothy, he's wanting to draw us back to the right direction. He's wanting to bring us back on path so that we can be God's people in his place where he's placed us and where he's put us. So we don't get dragged off in all sorts of different directions. So we don't have to have the little voice pulling us back. Well, let's have a look at what Paul has to say to Timothy and why he's doing that. So if you've got your Bibles, please open them up and have a look with me into 1 Timothy. Uh, Because you won't get this part up on the screen. You'll get little bits a little bit later, but not these sections. So have a look at 1 Timothy with me and look at verses 3 and 4 because that's where Paul is telling Timothy what he wants him to do. He says, As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. These promote controversies rather than God's work, which is by faith. Turn over the page if you need to, or just go down the page a little bit if you have a different Bible to me, and look at verses 18 to 19, because Paul restates those same things. He says this in verse 18. Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction, in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by following them you may fight the good fight, holding on to the faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected these, so have shipwrecked their faith. Paul's saying here to Timothy, he says, hang tough with Jesus. Stick to Jesus, mate. Hold on to the good faith. That's what he's saying there. He is the true doctrine. You need to be the God-nav voice that draws these people back to Jesus. 
They're going off in all these other little directions. They're heading off in their little tangents. They've got little people over here saying, this is really good to look at. They're saying over here, well, look at the genealogies over here. This is something really special over here. And he's saying, no, draw them back. Bring them back to Jesus. Because if they don't, then they're going to have an accident. They're going to shipwreck their faith, as Paul says over in verses 18 and 19. As some already have done, he says in verse 20. You need to draw them back, mate. You need to tell them the truth. You need to stand up and say you're going the wrong way. Now, sometimes in our society, telling people those sorts of things isn't well taken, is it? In a society that says that tolerance is everything. It's a buzzword in this supposedly postmodern society that we live in. It's all about tolerance. You can't tell anyone what to do. It's all about them just finding out for themselves. But really, is that helpful? You see, speaking the truth sometimes seems to be not right. It seems to be like it's old hat. But what about if someone's going in a terrible direction that's going to cause them grief? Sometimes we need to speak the truth. Sometimes we need to warn people. Some people, sometimes we need to let people know, you're heading down a really dangerous path here. You need to come back. You need to be warned and brought back to the truth. And Paul is saying that we need to do this, but we need to do this in a certain way and for a certain reason, he says. You just don't go around spouting off the truth and telling people where they're going wrong just to make yourself look good. You can't just go off there and tell anyone what you like just because you feel like you want to get at them or pull them into line or drag them down. But you need to do it in love and for love. Look at verse 5. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So when we speak to people the truth, it needs to be in love and because of love. You see, the goal of actually drawing someone back from going off track is so that they will be more loving and more loving to God. It's out of love. Our motive is love. You see, the most loving thing we can do sometimes is actually pull someone back into gear. When your child goes to stick his finger into a PowerPoint, the most loving thing you do is either smack their hand or pull them back from it. I don't know about you, but uh, when I've watched TV ad campaigns, there's lots of them around at the moment telling us what we should and shouldn't do, aren't there? Uh, TV ads, I think, have forgotten about the tolerance idea. They just tell us, don't smoke, don't drink, make sure you have your seatbelt on, uh, make sure that uh, you're not a tosser, make sure you don't speed, make sure you don't leave a major economic, eco-friendly uh, footprint. You've got to have your footprint small in the world today, whatever that actually means. But it's, Have you noticed that lately? That word footprint, it's no longer about what it looks like in the sand. It's your footprint of how you've impacted this world. You've got to have a small eco-footprint, they say. But it's never occurred to me, and I'm not too sure it's occurred to you, that when you've watched those ads, that those people don't love you, that they hate you. They're doing it because they want to warn you, don't they? Smoking can be very dangerous to your health. Speeding down a road recklessly can kill you. They're warning us. You see, it seems like in some ways we can tell people what to do when they're out there, but when it comes to something really important about their faith and their internal destiny, then people shun that and say, no, you can't do it. But it's got to be one of the most loving things we can do is tell someone 
when it looks like they may be heading to an eternity without God, heading to an eternity of hell. It's got to be the most loving thing we can do because that's going to be far more painful than than you're sucking a cigarette, far more painful than you even having a car accident. We need to be able to go out and tell people the truth in love. And when we see our brothers and sisters, our friends, and they're heading down a track that we think could cause them devastation, we need to lovingly speak to them about that. And I hate doing that. It's hard, isn't it? It's not easy, is it, when you see them? You think, oh, but will they not like me? Will they not like Well, actually, you not speaking to them actually is less loving than being quiet about it. We need to speak the truth in love. We need to be like Timothy in a sense, be the God nav for ourselves and for our people and for our friends and encourage them to stick to the truth. We need to say, don't go off the track, don't leave Jesus, don't get caught up in all these things, stick with him alone. And did you notice as you're reading this that when Paul was talking to Timothy, he was saying that actually the people that are going to drag you away are actually not people from outside, but they're people from within your group. That's scary, isn't it? You see, when Paul writes, uh, he's been in Ephesus for three years. He taught them for three years. He loved them dearly. He spoke to them. He encouraged them. He spent his, whole, you know, he spent his life, he invested time into them. And when he left them, this is what he said to them. If you want to check this out, have a look at Acts 20. It'll actually be on the screen. Acts 20, look what he says to him. He says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you, night and day, with tears. That's a passionate cry, isn't it, from Paul? He says, guys, I love you so much, you need to be careful. People are going to try and drag you away. Even from within your number, even in that very short time after Paul's left, it started to happen. What Paul spoke about actually is happening in Ephesus. We need to be careful, don't we? And we need to be careful about what we listen to. Let me give you three things that I think are helpful at this time about how we can put this into practice. The first one is that you need to be careful what you hear from up here. You need to check me. You need to check Les. You need to check the people that we bring in to preach. You need to listen carefully to them. You don't just take them as though they've got it all sorted. Yeah, they might have spent a lot of time and they might have spent some, you know, really worked hard at what they're doing and, you know, God willing, they've got it right, but you need to be careful. You need to be careful that if anyone gets up the front here and in any way drags our focus off Jesus. Because that's what Paul's talking about to Timothy, isn't he? Myths, genealogies, taking people in all sorts of odd directions... If anyone gets up here and starts sprouting stuff other than Jesus being the focus, then we need to be careful. You need to come and speak to me. You need to come and speak to the elders. 
anyone comes up here and starts saying and talking about a whole lot of special experiences as being the ultimate thing. You've got to have something extra to be a real Christian. Or they come along and say, well, you've got to have special days or you've got to wear certain clothes or you've got to worship God on only these sorts of days or you can only drink this or you can only eat that. Then you need to not listen to that. You need to come and speak to me about that. How are your eyes, Jono? All right. Nigel, you able to do that? Jono's eyes, those who don't know, John, John's got only about 10% of his eyesight that he can see and uh, his health's not too good at the moment and so every now and then his eyesight's go. John, can I pray for you before you go? Dear Heavenly Father, we do pray for John. Lord, you know he's struggling at the moment with his health. Heavenly Father, we pray that uh, your hand will be upon him, that he will know your peace and your comfort, that he'll experience your love at this time, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you'll restore his sight soon and that, Lord, you'll enable him to continue to serve you and love you for as long as you desire him to, Lord. We thank you for him, Lord, and we thank you for the way that you have uh, blessed him in so many ways. We pray that you'll be with him now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, John. You go home and rest, mate. So as I was saying, you need to check what's being said here. We'll wait for him. Careful. We need to be careful what we hear. And I think the second part of that is that we need to be careful what we read. You don't have to read every Christian book that's out there, you know. You don't have to have the broad scope of everything that's out there because not every book that's out there that's written by Christians is helpful. You don't have to watch every show on television. You don't have to watch everything that comes across your Christian TV station. You know, we have such a broad depth, breadth of stuff that we can look at these days. You can get on the internet and you can listen to just about anyone and watch just about anything. And when it comes to the Christian world, you can just about get anything from anywhere. You need to be careful what you watch. You need to be careful what channels on the Christian TV that you do look at. You need to be careful about what you look at at YouTube. You need to make sure that you know that every book at Kurong is not going to be good for you. You need to remember that not every part of Vision Radio is actually going to be helpful for you. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not into here saying, well, let, yeah, well, what books is Paul going to let me read? It's got nothing to do with what I'm going to let you read. I'm not out here to legislate what you are to look at or what you are to watch. But I think what Paul is saying here to Timothy is that there are going to be people who are claiming to be Christians, who are within the Christian realm, who will actually draw us away from Jesus. So we need to be careful. We need to be careful what we watch, what we read and what we listen to. And the other thing we want to do is those, we need to be careful of those who think or claim to be spiritual in some ways. The spiritual gurus, supposedly, of our society that are out there. I heard the other day that Oprah Winfrey is putting out a book on how you can interpret miracles. Let me encourage you, don't read that. Senor, you can do it whatever you like, but let me encourage you, don't do that. It's not going to be helpful for you. It's going to drag your focus off Jesus. Anything that takes our focus off Jesus is not helpful. Even if they look like sheep, it quite easily be wolves. And they want to rip you apart and shipwreck your faith. 
So let me encourage you. Be careful. Because Paul warns Timothy that not only is it just people telling us about endless genealogies, things that are going off, myths that are out there, but he actually says that people are actually using the Bible the wrong way. You need to be careful of that as well. You see, in this God Nav uh, that we've got here in 1 Timothy, he's saying we need to be careful of how people preach to us, how they use the Bible, because you actually can use the Bible the wrong way. Because that's what he's saying in verse 7 and 8. Have a look what he says. They want to be teachers of the law. That is, they want to be teachers of the Old Testament. They want to teach you about what God did in the Old Testament. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they say so confidently affirm. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. So you can actually use the Bible the wrong way, he's saying. You can use the Old Testament the wrong way. You see, these people are teaching the Old Testament in not the right way. And what are they doing? They're telling people that for you to be saved, for you to be right with God, that not only do you need to trust in Jesus, but you need to come back to the Old Testament laws. You need to follow these things. And if you follow these things, then you'll be right. That is the wrong way to use the Old Testament. Look what he says in verse 18 and 11, because this is what the law's use is. We know what he says. He says, "We we know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and religious, for those who kill their fathers and mothers, for murderers, adulterers and perverts, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine and that conforms to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which he entrusted to me. So what's the Old Testament law good for? The purpose of the Old Testament law is to show us where we go wrong. It's to show us that actually we can't keep God's commands. We fall short of them. We can't get there by doing that. It shows us that you and I need saving. That's what the Old Testament's all about. It's to show us that we need Jesus. I know what your reaction was as you read that list. You might have thought, well, I might tell the odd lie sometimes, but I'm not in the same category as a murderer. Well, the Bible says that we are all in the same category. We all break God's laws. Somewhere, some shape, we don't do what God wants us to do. It forces us, when we look at the Old Testament, and especially when we look at the Ten Commandments, because they're the ones that seem to jump to our mind immediately, isn't it? When we look at the Ten Commandments, we realise that we have mucked up. We can't keep them. It shows us that we need a saviour. The law's job is to point us to Jesus. The law's job is to show us that we need Jesus. You see, that's what he's saying there. It needs to conform to the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus. That's what he means in verse 11. The good news about Jesus achieves what the law could never achieve. You know, there's a problem with those car sat-nav machines. Uh, And some of you mentioned a little bit earlier, sometimes they take you in the wrong direction because the problem is if you have a sat-nav machine and you haven't downloaded the latest map, it doesn't always help you. I heard a story the other day of a couple that were travelling through New Zealand. As they were travelling through New Zealand, something went terribly wrong for them. Uh, They were in a small bus. Um, I imagine one of those sort of mini buses that have been decked out in the back and they were at the front driving around. 
And uh, at one point in time, uh, the police in New Zealand got this phone call from this man who was distraught, saying that his bus is sinking. We need help. We're drowning. My bus is sinking. Well, when the uh, police eventually arrived and found them, there were the older couple sitting up on top of the roof of the bus and the rest of it was submerged underwater. You see, what had happened was just four weeks earlier, the hydroelectric commission in that area had flooded this whole plain and uh, there was a road that used to go through there, but no longer. They'd driven off following their sat-nav and they'd just gone, poof, and they're in the lake, they're in the water. They didn't have the new map that they should have had that should have come over the top of the old one and given them the right direction. And you see, that's a bit like us if we use the Old Testament map of the Bible without putting the new map of Jesus over the top. You see, Jesus comes in and superimposes over the Old Testament. And when we understand that, whenever we look at the Old Testament, we need to see that it's pointing to Jesus, that its destination is Jesus. Therefore, if we don't use the Old Testament, if we don't use the Old Testament and see that it is all about Jesus, we'll end up in the lake. We'll end up like Paul is saying to these people that they'll shipwreck their faith. Therefore, when you're listening to anyone who's preaching from the Old Testament and they're speaking to you about it, if they don't get you to Jesus, they've missed the point. If you hear a sermon from the Old Testament and they never, ever mention Jesus in it and say how Jesus fulfills this, then they have missed the point. Anyway, so well, how could anyone do that? Well, it doesn't happen, does it? Well, we had a couple turn up here at church a few years ago and when they sat in here and we were preaching from the Gospels and they said that is the first time in 12 months that they've heard a sermon from the New Testament and about Jesus. So for the last 12 months we've spent our whole time in the Old Testament and they've never taken us to Jesus. That's what Paul's saying here. They're shipwrecking their faith. If you're listening to them and people are trying to take you to the Old Testament and telling you what this is all about and this is exactly for you, but they haven't superimposed Jesus on it, they're going to shipwreck your faith. That's what Paul's saying to us here. We need to be careful. And Paul says you need to be careful because I was in that situation. My life was being shipwrecked but now it's been transformed by Jesus. Have a look at what he says in verses 12 to 14. He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. What a transformation. This guy's gone from cursing and killing and wanting to destroy Christians and Jesus to following him with his whole life, giving up everything to speak about him. He's completely sold out for Jesus. Listen to these beautiful words in verse 15. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. That was music to Paul's ears. Is that music to your ears? 
Is this your cry? This can be your cry, you know. No matter what you've done, no matter how bad you think you are, no matter if you think God could never, ever accept you again, these words speak to our heart, don't they? No matter how bad, Jesus came to save you and I. You see, when Jesus is nailed to the cross, when he cries out in pain on the cross, when those nails are holding him up there, he's not crying because he's feeling that pain so much. He's crying out because he's feeling your pain and my pain. He cries out because he's feeling all the sin that we've done, all the things that we've done wrong are being piled onto his shoulders and he cries out in pain because of that. And when after that he shouts, it is finished, he's crying out that everything that needs to be done to be paid for you has been completed. You don't have to do anything else. You just need to trust in him. He does it all. That's why we need to stick to Jesus. That's why we can't compromise on him at all. We can't go weak on him. We can't go soft around the edges of him because as soon as we lose Jesus, as soon as we take him out of the pitch, as soon as we move him slightly to the side, then we lose the power of the cross. We lose his transforming grace that he pours out on you and I. Because he is the message. He is the map that God has placed out for us. He is our destination. God's sat nav for you and I, his life nav for you and I, is that we trust in Jesus and we be conformed to be more like him in every way. All we need to do is give our life to him and he'll take it and run it for us. And as you do this, there's no greater thing that we can do after that is but to praise God for what he's done. You see, we've been saved to praise. I know it sounds corny, but it works, doesn't it? We've been saved to praise. Look at verse 17. Because this is Paul's response. He says, Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honour and glory forever and ever. Amen. If you could sort of read that all together and come down to that, you could actually see Paul moving through this emotional shift. He's gone from being really strong about what you need to be careful about and then he's poured out his heart about how Jesus has transformed him, how he has been the worst of worst of people, a murderer, a killer, a blasphemer, all those things almost that he listed earlier. He was like that and then he looks to Jesus and he sees that Jesus has taken it on himself. He has saved him. And as he thinks through that, as that touches his heart, as that impacts his soul... He cries out in praise to the God who's done it for him. He just pours out now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be glory and honour forever and ever. Amen. I reckon it's a good thing to do sometimes, isn't it? In our really hectic world where everything is around us, where the television's always on, where our iPods are always on, where our music is always on, where our iPhones are always going and we're continually texting everywhere. We should take time out, shouldn't we? Turn our iPhone off, put our iPod off, shut down things, turn our televisions off 
and take a moment to think about what Jesus has done on the cross for us. Think about whether your life is running on your own sat-nav or whether it's running on God's nav for you. Is your life all mapped out how you want it to go? Or are you thinking about, well, maybe what has God's map got for you? Or are you running on your own map? Or are you running on someone else's map? Are someone else's expectations being imposed on you and you've got it all sorted out there and you're running on their map and not God's? How about we do that this week? How about we take time out this week, we close everything down, turn everything off, we spend time thinking about what God has done for us in Jesus. And then we think about whose map are we following? Ours, someone else's, or God's? Because you see, over the next five weeks, as we work through 1 Timothy, we're going to see how God's map for our life works out. It's a work in progress. But let's see if we can put things aside and think about how Jesus can be our sat-nav for our whole life and for eternity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we've just spent some time looking at your word, we thank you for it, Lord. We thank you for the wonderful truths that are there. We thank you for the warnings that it gives us. We pray, Lord, that you will apply it to our hearts. We ask, Lord, that by your Spirit you will work within us this day and through this week to really sit back and think about who is guiding and directing our lives. Who are we looking to? Who are we being driven by? What are our priorities? And, Lord, look to you and to see what yours are for us and not our own. Thank you for Jesus, Lord. May we stick to him. May we hang tough with him, Lord, because he hung there for us so that we could be in relationship with you forever. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.